Hello, and welcome to the Strong Wellness Podcast, our family podcast on all things health, wellness, and self-improvement. My name's Marty. I'm 22, and I've been working in the wellness space since I finished school, working as a PT and studying nutrition. Since then, I've gone on to work for City Cave, the fastest-growing global wellness brand. I'm Jamie. I'm mum of four boys, aged between 22 and 9. Marty is my eldest. I'm also a City Cave multi-site franchisee. I own three City Caves with hopefully more to come. I'm a passionate advocate for flotation therapy, mental and physical wellness across all ages. I'm Tim Strong. I'm Jamie's husband and father of four. Uh, I've owned businesses in the building construction industry for the past 17 years. I'm a passionate entrepreneur and I'm driven by seeing people succeed in business and in life. I lost my brother to cancer in 2019 and this has solidified my commitment to the health and wellness space as well as men's mental health. Thanks for tuning in. And our guest today is Dr. Justin Feinstein, who is a clinical neuropsychologist specializing in fear and anxiety. He has over 50 peer-reviewed publications in some of the top scientific journals, and his research has been featured in popular press, including the New York Times, NPR, Time Magazine, and CBS National News. Uh, in 2021, Justin founded the Float Research Collective, which is a non-profit organization that is playing a pivotal role in establishing in establishing flotation therapy as uh, medical treatment. Um, so Justin, do you wanna give a little uh, introduction to yourself over there? Well, well, first of all, I'm super excited to be here on the Strong Wellness Podcast. I had just visited Australia uh, last month. I got a chance to, to meet uh, both Marty and Tim, and I could tell you these are two stand-up dudes. You're not going to meet uh, anyone more uh, knowledgeable about the wellness space than these two guys. And I'm excited to, to get into it, talk about men's mental health and, of course, float therapy. Awesome. Yeah. Thanks so much for being on the podcast, Justin. It's been amazing being able to meet you. I actually met you for the first time uh, back in 2019 at the International Float Convention. Um, and I feel like we've had a long journey uh, in the flotation space together since. Um, but yeah, our topic of conversation, uh, it's International Men's Day coming up. Um, so I guess we just wanted to talk about how can flotation be a pivotal um, tool for the improvement of men's mental health. Um, so do you want to give us a little bit of a brief introduction to what flotation therapy is? Absolutely. I mean, a lot of people hear the word float and they say, oh, you know, could I go in the ocean or go in my bathtub and just float? Is that what float therapy is? And it turns out it's it's actually a lot more advanced than that. In fact, I, I would call flotation therapy the most advanced tool that our society has to help calm a stressed and anxious nervous system. So if you're suffering from stress, if you're suffering from anxiety, your nervous system is in a state of disarray. It's being stimulated all the time, especially in modern times. I mean, when you think about our generation, the amount of 24-7 connectivity our nervous system endures is just incredible beyond anything our ancestors had to face. And here we are living in this modern time, and we don't have a good way of reducing all this stimulation on our nervous system. 
And that's how it's been for many years. And then more recently, suddenly emerges out of the blue something called flotation therapy. When we talk about float therapy, we're not just talking about floating. We're talking about an environment that systematically reduces all forms of stimulation on the human nervous system. So you're in a room that's fully calibrated to be soundproof, to be lightproof, to be temperature and humidity controlled. The water in the pool is heated to the exact temperature as your skin. And the air is heated to the exact temperature as the water. You don't have to thermoregulate. Everything feels perfect. It's not too hot. It's not too cold. And when we say floating, let's emphasize what that means. You are on a bed of water, only about a third of a meter. But in that one third of a meter, you have a full thousand kilos of Epsom salt, magnesium sulfate. It's a mattress of water. You don't have to move a single muscle to stay afloat. So this is very, very different than say getting into your bathtub or getting into a pool or into the ocean. When we say floating, we mean the environment literally does all the work for you. It floats you so you're in this perfect state of equilibrium. You have no sensory information disturbing your nervous system. And you get to enter what, what we call in the world of neuroscience, a state of homeostasis a state of balance and equilibrium, which is completely missing in modern day society. So, you know, to me, this is a neat moment in, in human civilization because not only are we technologically becoming more advanced than we ever had before, but finally we have an antidote to all of this technological innovation that's been happening behind us. And it could help the nervous system reset and recalibrate. And so for the past 10 years, I've been basically one of the only people in the world studying flotation therapy from both a neuroscience perspective in terms of how it's actually affecting our brain, but also a clinical perspective in terms of how it's improving our mental health. And so hopefully today we'll be able to, to get into some of that research. I've done a little bit of research, pulled some, pulled some data and found that um, crazily enough, seven out of nine of the suicides reported in Australia were men, um, which is nearly double the average road death toll, which is absolutely insane. Um, and, and roughly- and by the way, four, four, four times as many men commit suicide than women. Yeah. Four times. Um, it's, it's, a, it's a major uh, striking difference. But, you know, as you said in Australia, what was it, 79%? Men? Seven, seven out of every nine. Yeah. Seven out of every nine. Wow. Probably close enough to 79%. Yeah. 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 Um, and roughly 40% of men don't actually talk about their mental health. They don't seek help. Um, and about 29% of uh, men said that they're too embarrassed to talk about it. Um, so that's a major barrier. Um, and I think even 40% of males um, reported that it would take thoughts of suicide to seek help and, and speak about their mental health. Um, so evidently there's this massive barrier for men to come out and, and actually speak. 100%. Yeah. Massively <laughs> seen this through the building industry in Australia. You know, um, my time in the building industry, you know, see a lot of men just not willing to open up um, and talk about their issues to other men. 
or even their partners. You know, there is such a culture to, to keep pressing it down and, and keeping it in. And I, I believe it's come from the Industrial Revolution. That's the Industrial Revolution mindset to, to not talk about it. It's weakness to talk about it and communicate. Yeah, it's so, so true. These, these statistics you talk about and this, this very basic aspect of, of what it is to be a man, it, 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 it's all about this notion we could solve our own problems, right? We could do this on our own. We could pick ourselves up by the bootstraps and, and just persevere, right? This is the mentality of many men. And unfortunately, when you're in need of help, when you are suffering, most men will not seek out help. You know, just to give you some more statistics, about 25% of the population suffers from anxiety and depression, but only about one quarter of them actually get treatment, meaning 75% of people who are suffering are not even seeking help. And it's worse for men. I just read a statistic that on average, uh, it's it's 15% worse for men in Australia to act than women to go and seek help when you actually are needing it. Mm. So, you know, let's think about that. Okay, 75% of the population on average is not seeking treatment. That means probably eight to nine out of 10 men are not seeking treatment. Mm. 80 to 90% we're talking about. That's really striking. That means a lot of men out there are suffering in silence, which to me is a travesty because there are ways to get help. You know, my degree is in clinical neuropsychology. It's all about how can you reduce suffering? What are the novel ways that we could reduce suffering? And what are the proven ways that we could reduce suffering? And it turns out there's a lot of different ways that, that suffering can be reduced, especially in the domain of mental health. So these 80 to 90% of men who are not seeking treatment are actually doing themselves a disservice because there is a way that they could actually improve their lives. And to me, I think float therapy could be actually one of the easiest solutions to this horrible dilemma of men not seeking treatment. Why is that, Justin? I know you've got a few good uh, sayings. Well, I could tell you one of the, the number one reasons when you ask, you could, you know, there's been research on this. So I'm not just pulling this out of, out of my, my hat here. The number one reason when you ask men, why are you not seeking treatment is self-efficacy. Self-efficacy is this notion like we were talking about. You could do it on your own. And you don't want somebody else's help. And it's not just, you know, the idea of, say, talking to a stranger, right? Because I think a lot of men don't want to divulge personal secrets to, say, a counselor or a therapist or a doctor. They just don't want to tell their personal lives. They don't want to get into the details of, of their emotions, etc. That's one aspect of self-efficacy, right? That men really just don't want to, to be feel like they need somebody else to help them. But most men also don't like to take pills. They don't yeah. like to take medications. They don't like to feel that they're reliant on anything but themselves to solve their problems. So yeah. that's the number one reason why people are not seeking treatment is self-efficacy. And let me tell you, there is not a more perfect environment in the world than a float pool 
for self-efficacy because when you're floating it's just you you don't have to divulge any personal secrets to a total stranger you don't have to take any medications that are going to have these panoply of side effects it's just you and water it's as simple as simple gets and it's something that we really need to be alerting the, the entire male population about i mean what's fascinating is here we have this really burgeoning business, City Cave, right? It's taking off all across Australia. I mean, how many City Caves are there now? Uh, 61, I believe, in Australia. Um, and they're currently under construction of their first in Florida. I'm, I mean, that's unbelievable because when I was presenting at the International Mental Health Conference in Australia back in 2019, there were only three city caves then. You're telling me they're up to 61 now in three years? Correct, yeah. I mean, to me, this is incredible. And so it tells you all around Australia now, there's opportunities for, for example, for men to go to a city caves. And there's also float therapy locations all around Australia as well. I feel like out of everywhere in the world I've been through my research in flotation therapy, Australia really is like, coming exploding if you will i mean i've never seen how a population in the world pick up float therapy as quick as australia is right now it must be exciting for you guys absolutely oh, definitely definitely is um let's let, let's unpack um justin just with your experiences and um, obviously we've spoken about this previously um you've dealt with some pretty serious cases of people coming back from war um you know post-traumatic stress talk to us a little bit about that and what what you saw um at the back of the benefit of those people going through float therapy yeah i mean the the patients that we studied in our in our studies and and by the way all of the research that um we've published is is online it's freely available you could go to the nonprofit's website clinicalfloat.org and read all the publications but you know the, the the patients that we we studied tended to be along the mood and anxiety disorder spectrum so we had a lot of patients with major depression i'd say pretty much everyone we studied had some elements of major depression um, on top of it we had the whole spectrum of anxiety disorders we had post-traumatic stress disorder we had generalized anxiety social anxiety panic disorder agoraphobia so we really studied every possible condition where the nervous system is in this sort of state of hyperarousal uh, disarray, and it needs to sort of be put into a, a more of an equilibrium, if you will. And what I found was actually really striking to me because for many years, we've been trying to find better treatments for depression and anxiety. You know, right now, when you look at the range of treatments, oftentimes, uh, it involves either medication or psychotherapy or some combination of the two. What I could tell you, though, is a lot of the treatments are not working very well. You know, I would say over half of the patients who try the typical medications and therapies are not getting much better. And when you have both depression and anxiety, it's actually probably two thirds are not getting much benefit from these treatments. So that's really when I decided to, to start studying novel interventions.
what inspired me to try floating because before I had come along, no one had ever done a clinical study in floating with this population. And so we set out to study these patients. And what I could tell you is every single patient that we put into the float pool came out feeling less anxiety, less stress, and less depression. It was like a reflex. I was so shocked by this. You know, you take the patella reflex, you, you, you take a hammer to somebody's knee, the knee comes up, right? That's the classic patella reflex. Floating was like a patella reflex for the nervous system in terms of just getting it to relax, getting it to reset from all of that stimulation that it's inundated with. And so every single patient that we studied actually showed this drop in stress and anxiety on average, about a 14 point drop on the Spielberger state anxiety inventory. And what was really fascinating to me is it didn't just reduce uh, uh, those symptoms. It also reduced physical symptoms like muscle tension. So many of my patients harbored their stress and anxiety in the muscles of their back, inside their neck, constantly complaining of soreness and pain in those regions. The flotation pool literally dissolved all of that muscle tension. To me, that was so incredible because rarely in psychotherapy or even with medications could muscle tension just evaporate like that. And, you, you know, when you think about what floating is, it's really one of the few places on earth where you don't have to fight the forces of gravity. You know, every moment of the day, Tim, you were talking about the construction industry. Maybe you could, you could talk some more about that because I imagine every construction worker, every moment they're on the job is fighting the forces of gravity. You're carrying heavy stuff. You're having to traverse really tough and, and, and strange angles to build things. You're contorting your body in strange positions. I mean, you think of what, what is happening to your spinal cord and that entire part of the nervous system day in and day out. And, you know, what, what does floating do to somebody who is in, in, in that type of work environment? Maybe you could talk about that. Yeah, 100%. Look, I mean, uh, my entry into floating was because of my stresses in the building industry. Um, you know, we, my brothers and I had, um, had grown a, a construction business from having, you know, 13, 14 staff um, to, to growing at 187 staff in five years. Wow. You know, we, we, we grew that business considerable, but what came with that was a lot of stress. Um, I was working anywhere between 16 to 18 hours a day, seven days a week. Um, I couldn't sleep, literally could not sleep longer than three hours, three and a half hours a night. Um, I'll just wake up. My nervous system was that peaked and I didn't realize, and it wasn't until, um, my wife had sort of said, Hey, let's go and try this. And I was like, no, no, no. Until one day she just, she spoke to my staff and cleared my day. And when I woke up, she's like, let's, we're going to have a day. It's mine and your day. Uh, let's go. And I, I actually had a panic attack. I was like, no, I've got to go to work. Like I was so addicted to work, you know, and that's what the building industry brings because it's so, so stressful around time. You know, you're always competing against time delivery program, time to you know complete you know you've got a, every single milestone on a, on a on a project is a time barrier you know that you've got to complete if you don't you get fined you literally get charged delay damages so the you're always on there. the clock 
you're always on the clock. You, you're permanently going. So, like, literally days disappear, months disappear, years are gone because you're always chasing that. And it wasn't until I was, you know, introduced to floating by, by, by my wife um, that, um, that then that night I had my first eight-hour sleep. I literally did not wake up for eight hours. And, like, it literally supported my nervous system that much that I was able to rest, you know, and get that eight hours of sleep, which I haven't been able to do for years. I mean, you were um, said two to three hours a night, right? So you, you yeah. more than doubled your sleep in, in, with one float session. That was my first float, yeah. You know, so from there I was addicted. Like, I, I was being, you know, I need this in my life. I have to have this in my life. Um, and that allowed me to slow down and realize what, you know, what was really going on around me. You know, it made me realize that, you know, am I being the father, the husband that I, you know, that I should be and, 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 and also to realize my addiction to work and that, you know, I found myself hiding, um, you know, in the workspace, um, you know, you know, because that was my go-to and I wasn't being present at home. I wasn't being present in my, my personal life, very present in a business life. Um, and floating allowed that to come out, you know, and allowed me to allowed me to slow down that little bit to realize just so I could capture what I've been missing out on. Well, well, isn't that you know such a classic male stereotype, right? We 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 will work ourselves to death, you know mm. this 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 notion. And I, I remember my grandfather telling me this, right. And, you know, my grandfather fought in, in World War II, and he had pretty severe post-traumatic stress disorder, but he never told a soul, except his grandson. I was one of the only people who ever heard these stories. But yeah, he spent wow. his whole life quietly suffering from post-traumatic stress. And you know how he did it? Oh. He worked his yeah. entire life. He worked every day. He was one of the hardest workers I'd ever met in my life. And it shows you that, you know, like you were saying, Tim, work distracts you from the issues, right? There's yep. something else to do. You're focused on something different than your own internal dialogue. And you have to turn inwards every now and again and listen to what your body is saying. Otherwise, you have what's known as burnout. And that's that's ubiquitous. I feel like our entire society is going through a state of burnout right now. But yeah. you know what, what, what's really striking about your your particular example, Tim, is you were in that vicious cycle for years and years. Yep. You did a, a single one-hour float session, and that was able to sort of very quickly reset what had been accumulating for many, many years. And it's not, I don't want to give anybody the illusion that it's a permanent reset. I feel like floating is a practice, something that you have to sort of do again and again to continue to give your nervous system that chance to disconnect, that chance yeah. to take a break and reset. You know, I, I tell most of, of my patients that you should be floating at least once a week if you're really in a state where you're suffering from stress and anxiety. If you're just an average person with a typical amount of stress and anxiety, you should be floating at least once a month. But you sort of have to calibrate it based off of your level of stress and anxiety. 
And, you know, to me, it's such an important reset because otherwise the nervous system will just keep going until it can't go anymore. And, you know, this this whole idea of men working themselves to death, it happens. It happened to my grandfather and it's it's happening all across the world right now. So I feel like on this International Men's Day, if there's one message we could get out there to men is pause. You know, if you're the one who says, I don't have time because I'm on the clock and I got to do this and that and this, you are the very person who needs to go float right now. Because this is really the moment where you have to recognize that at some point you got to give yourself a reset. You can't. If you've got anxiety around that, if you've got anxiety around giving that reset, then you need a reset. That's a good way to put it. Yeah. I I, I found that, you know, just with me, like I would get anxiety having a day off. I would have anxiety around actually, you know what, doing something for myself. You know, so I was a, Perfect, like my nervous system's, you know, firing um, on on every single cylinder that I've got, and I, I I was willing to sacrifice my health and my well-being to just keep pushing through to pretty much what grow business, do everything for everyone else except for myself. Wow. So that's such a such a great example, Tim. Of you know, I bet there's there's probably millions of men out there right now doing that same exact thing millions and they don't even know what float therapy is no never heard of it and isn't that incredible we've got 61 locations in city cave in the brand city cave you know throughout australia plus in other independents you know i think there's over i think there's over 100 of the other independents so i think australia has nearly 200 float centers right now yeah for 20 million people, right? How many how many people in Australia? Yeah, 20, 23, I think there is, 23 million. So you may have more float centers per capita than anywhere else in the world. So there's no excuses for the, the men in Australia. You need to go out and find a float center. 100%. Absolutely. Yeah. I feel like it's really saying as, you know, it is, it's, it's looking after yourself. Um, but for a lot of men, and I know that if I throw it back to when dad was in this vicious cycle of working, He's always been in this state of looking after others. And I think that as men, we're wired to be hunter-gatherers, warriors, protectors. It's all it's always focusing on, you know, what's the what's the battle we have to fight tomorrow? What do we have to protect our tribe from? Or like what do we have to protect our family from? Um, but it's never it's it's never looking inward. Um, how do I protect so, myself? How do I protect myself exactly? And realistically, that's what anxiety is. It's 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 fear of something that could potentially happen in the future. And we're we're in this massive pattern um, uh, of yeah, I don't know. But, it's fight, fight or flight. Yeah, fight, what is that? It's yeah, fight exactly. or flight, which is the stress hormone. Yeah, which is what our bodies were created to get ourselves out of um, a situation, mm. but we weren't meant to live in it. Yeah, but we live in it every day. That's right. You know, keep keep in mind, we are the first really human uh, generation where most of our survival needs are taken care of from the moment we're born, right? Yeah. If we need to go get food, you you go down to the local grocery store and get whatever yeah. you want. If 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 you if it's too hot or too cold, you turn on the air conditioning or the heater. 
you, you lay in a bedroom where you don't have saber-toothed tigers jumping out of the corner. I mean, it, it, there's so many of our basic needs taken care of, right? But yet we're endowed with these genes for fight or flight, for survival, for taking care of our kin, right? So we're enacting our primal instincts in an environment where those primal instincts are no longer necessary. So it makes sense that we're anxious. It makes sense that we're stressed out. It makes sense that we want to work all the time. But you need to realize that we're not living in the hunter and gatherer times anymore. Yeah. <laughs> we could take a break here. Yeah. And, and, and I think that's what we want to support. We want to support that through the flow therapy, you know, especially coming up to, you know, men's health week. It's, it's you know, it's, it's, it's men take some time. Like, it's okay to look after yourself. It's okay to, like, like what Marty is saying, look within. And I, and I think that's a good point because, you know, that's been my experience, but I'm in the flow tank. I've got no distractions. I, I've got no, you know, other sensories other than my brain and my brain activity to look within and allow, allow what comes up to just come up. And sometimes it's not good. You know, sometimes, you know, it's it's stuff that you have been suppressing, but, you know, you're able to bring it up in your time, not feeling vulnerable or feel like you're going to be looked at, you know, in a different way, um, you know, by anyone else. You're just at one with yourself. You know, wow. I've used this through, I've, I've used this through healing when my brother died two years ago. I was, I was able to use float therapy to, let go of my emotions because in my day to day, I wanted to be strong, but in the float tank, I was able just to be myself, you know, um, gives me goosebumps, you know, just to, to think about what I, what I'd actually gone on in the journey of that float tank, you know, to be able to heal the pain of the loss of my brother, you know, um, and, 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 and just be with myself in that situation. That's what the benefit, that's what I've found the benefit of float tanks, to, to bring like it provides that space and place for you to connect to yourself it, it's at the so same important. time soothing your nervous system it's so important you're, you're basically in an environment that allows you to disconnect from all of that stimulation out there outside of your body and reconnect to yourself i mean that yeah. it's so hard when you think about um this idea of, of becoming, I think you use the words one with yourself. You know, that's so hard. I, you know, one of the, the, the studies that we did with brain imaging, where we scanned people's brains before and after floating, is we found that there was a reduction in this area called the default mode network, which is the set of brain regions that's sort of always on in the background. When we're not doing anything, they, they refer to this as the mind shatter of the brain, right? When you're talking to yourself, and especially when you're self-critical, this default mode network is, is going into overdrive. And what we found is floating could actually calm down the activity within this default mode network. And to me, this idea of oneness with self could be part and parcel of what we're seeing in that brain, brain data. You know, if, if, if floating allows this sort of tabula rasa, if you will, of the nervous system, 
perhaps when you get rid of everything else, what's left is just you, the essence of you without all of this other crap that you have to deal with day in and day out. And it turns out it's not so bad. I think yeah. that's what's so amazing to me about floating. People get really scared or anxious about the idea of float therapy. Like, oh, what's going to happen to me? Am I going to lose control, right? But it turns out, no, it's the exact opposite. You have complete control. You feel totally at ease and at peace. And you connect with yourself. It's, it's the exact opposite of what most people are worried about when it comes to floating. That's what's on the other side. I think that's what I was alluding to earlier when I was talking about these patterns, right? Like dad's pattern was work, work, work. People in my generation, their patterns, you know, Instagram, TikTok, Facebook, you go through it. You can never escape that yeah. phone and you can lose days, weeks, months, years, just in these patterns, the default mode network, you're doing things without even really thinking, why am I doing them? And without even realizing that they could be unhealthy. But then you take even just an hour to yourself in this environment where it's almost like a Schrodinger's cat kind of um, scenario where like, is your body even there anymore? It's, it's, it's you and you. And I know that you've said before um, that the float is kind of like the, the chair and the therapist at the same time. And I think that's why um, it's so, it's so necessary for men's mental health because so many people are, you know, they don't want to talk to someone else, but you don't realize how effective it can be to just get in there and talk to yourself and, and realize, you know, by stepping away from these patterns, you can look at the things that you've done in the past day, week, month and think, why was I doing that? You know, it was just a pattern at the time and it was just something that I did. But is that actually what I want to do? Is it moving me closer to the person that I want to be? Um, or is it just harmful? And it allows you to step back and think, okay, you know what? I don't want to do that anymore. I want to reduce that. I want to do more of this. I want to look after myself. And I think that being able to take that time for myself has been a has enabled me to realize who I want to be, what I want to do, and and remove some of the things that I realized were a little bit more harmful. And so I think that it's been, you know, I, I personally. I haven't seen therapists um, and I don't think that I have any uh, serious mental health issues, but I think that flotation therapy has helped me so much um, and probably just as much, if not more than a therapist would in that same amount of time. Oh, that's amazing. Like, um, like a saying that we we're talking about um, uh, the other day, Justin, the float pool is the couch and the yeah, therapist. And therapist yeah. Ah, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, you know, think about that. You know, most forms of psychotherapy and I, and for many years I worked with veterans who had post-traumatic stress in psychotherapy, doing something called prolonged exposure therapy. I mean, you're in, you're in this room with this person who is re-experiencing, re-arousing uh, 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 all of those emotions from the trauma. Oh, wow. Right, you're taking them through it. You're going through in the the most intense of detail and nuance what their trauma was and getting them to come to terms with it. And those therapy sessions are hard. I mean, you come out of those therapy sessions, you're in the trenches. You're sweating. There's tears. There's there's anger. All the emotions are coming out. Right, and then you know maybe by the end of the session, the patient looks at you and you say, "All right, time's up." and you say, how was it? And the patient goes, oh, 
I feel a little bit better. <laughs> but you could tell they're probably lying to you, right? It was hard. That was hard work. Meanwhile, fast forward a few years. Now I'm in my own float laboratory and I'll have a person with PTSD go into float. And I'll go hang out somewhere for an hour. And an hour later, they come out. They're a totally different person. They are, their whole body posture is different. They, they're a prosody of voice, their emotion in their face. All of it comes back to life from a single one-hour float session. Wow. You know, and that, wow. that, that's the sort of thing that I'm always amazed by, especially with people who have PTSD is how quickly floating could sort of reset all of that stress. You know, we were finding on average 10 to 20 point drops in diastolic blood pressure while you're floating. And that once again was in everyone we studied. It, once again, like a reflex of this very specialized environment. It, it really reduces all tension throughout the body and throughout the nervous system. For, for your generation who is inundated with stimulation, I've never seen, I mean, I don't know if you're like this, Marty, but every other kid I've seen who is a teenager or in their early 20s is just on the phone all the time. They never get off. Yeah. yeah. Honestly, it, it's, hard, it's hard to get away. Um, I, like to, I like to think that I'm a little bit more in control um, than some of the other kids and teenagers that I see, but it, it's, it is so addictive. It's, well, that, it's that instant gratification. Yeah. It's that instant dopamine hit of, you know, seeing a like or getting a message and you get so easily hooked by that. I, like I grew up um, sort of not having any of that, um, I guess, technology or social media until I was, you know, an early teenager. So uh, I had that life prior to technology where I, had so much fun going outside and yeah. I was able to sit through a whole movie and just watch the movie. And then I've had that back end of my life when I've been exposed to it. And now, honestly, it's, it's hard to even watch a whole movie and just yeah. put your phone away. It's a difficult task, which is, which is crazy. Um, and, and I think I've told you before, I've got this analogy of, you know, bouncing a marble on, on a tile. If you look back, um, you know, maybe to the, let's say the 1970s, right? There's the, you know, the marble bounces off the tile and you've got this massive gap and that's the attention span. As you go down the timeline to, uh, further towards where we are now, it's it's getting, you know, less and less of a distance between the tile and the marble. And it's mm -hmm. now almost at a point where the, the marble's vibrating against the tile, you know, there's almost zero attention span. Yeah. You can see yeah, that, I mean, we, we, can, we can see that in our family. Like, we can see that with you know your younger brothers mm. you know yeah um yeah if you if you look at that like they're up in the morning the first thing they want to do is get that dopamine hit message mm. their friends you know get on a game yeah it's you know it's it's a it's a it's the next pandemic yeah it, it is pretty wild when you think about you know i i go back to a time where if you wanted to you know get somewhere or drive somewhere you had a either get out a, a paper map or, you know, if you couldn't find your way, you'd have to, you know, embarrassingly stop at some gas station and ask the person for directions. Yeah. You know, Tim and I lived in an age where there was no such thing as an email or a tweet or social media. 
you know, life was personal. You could disconnect. You could go out in nature and not have to worry about yeah. somebody pinging you. Uh, we yeah. live in such different times. And for these kids, like my kids or your generation, Marty, there may be uh, uh, millions and millions of you who don't know what life is like without this device. And you were never told otherwise. So you just assume, let me just keep it in front of my face all time. Let's yeah. just keep connected. Let's keep doing this and that on Instagram and Facebook and whatever else. TikTok, right? Everyone's into TikTok now. It's like, how many movies are we going to stream through like little rats in a, in a casino? I mean, it's just nuts what's happening right now to the human nervous system. And we're, we're turning into the rats. You know, we're, we're becoming these habitual creatures that can't break away. And yeah. what I love about float therapy, almost more than anything else, is it's a forced disconnection. Yeah. You know, you, you set aside one hour a week or at least one hour a month to go give yourself and your nervous system that one hour respite, that one hour break. And guess what? In a float pool, there are no lights. There are no sounds. There are no pings in social media. It just gets to shut off for a little bit of time. And trust me, man or woman, we all need that in this modern society. Floating is a practice. It's, it's just like meditation is a practice, right? And in fact, I think the float environment is a perfect environment to practice meditation. You know, focusing in on, on your breath, allowing your breathing to just unfold in a very natural manner, not letting all the mind chatter in your brain take away, but just really focused on the present moment sensation. So you could do that inside of a float pool. But it takes time. It takes practice. The first couple of floats, you just want to get used to the environment. You know, I spend a lot of time in that first float. I remember stretching my body. It's very unique to be in a zero gravity state. It's like you're floating in outer space. It's, it's one of the only places on Earth where you could get that sort of feeling. And you could stretch the muscles. You could get yourself very used to the environment. You could turn the lights on or off. You could have sound on or off. You could have music playing. You know, the first float or two, you should just get used to the environment, get comfortable. And then usually around float three or four, once you're acclimated to the environment, is when your nervous system could really shut off. Now, I'm not saying that can't happen in one float as it did for you, Tim. It, you know, sometimes the first float could be incredible. But I think people need to set their expectations that it takes several floats to sort of acclimate to the environment and get used to the experience. But it's a very easy experience. And this is sort of touching on what Marty was talking about. You know, most of my anxious patients that I studied told me before their first float, they will be out of there after 15 minutes. They said, there's no way I'm going to be by myself in a room without lights for more than five minutes. Are you kidding me? Well, guess what? We just finished a, a major NIH-funded study and showed that when you uh, uh, actually allow them to float for as long as they want, they didn't get out after five minutes or 15 minutes or even 50 minutes. In fact, on average, they wanted to float for 75 minutes. That was their own choice. So I think what people have to recognize is when you're in this very unique float environment, time has no meaning anymore. 
and it could fly by. I, I had patients who came out after a two hour float session and said, no way, I was only in there for maybe 30 minutes or 45 minutes tops. No, you were in there for two hours. And it also shows you something important, which is the body and the nervous system needed it. It yeah. really needed it because that's why they didn't get out sooner. They were in a total state of relaxation and they didn't want to leave it. So, you know, to me, this is what's so incredible about float therapy is it, it, it seems to be this very reflexive relaxation response, but without any effort on your part. You don't have to do anything, you guys. You lay there and let the environment do all the work for you. How incredible is that? often get asked the question, you know, what is floating not good for? Mm. And it's really hard to find, you know, examples of that. I mean, there's there's certain thing, things or conditions that you might want to stay away from a float pool. Like if you have any major skin conditions or open wounds, this is a lot of salt water, so it could sting. So you got to be careful of those sorts of things. But for the most part, floating is healthy for anybody who has a nervous system, which is everybody. You know, yeah. this is something that just in a very natural way, without much risk or any side effects of note, could get the nervous system into a state of quiescence, right? This is so important in modern life. And everybody on all facets of life, but for this podcast, especially men, need this. Mm. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So, so let's let's talk about um, some of your experiences about the type of float tanks. There's obviously enclosed and there's open pools. Um, plus or minuses, like positives or negatives, I suppose, into the different types. Um, what have, what have been some of your experiences, Justin? Well, you know, you you got to get back to the essence of what floating is and ultimately what floating is is creating an environment that minimizes stimulation on the nervous system right so you want the air temperature and the water temperature to be very well calibrated right and you want to be able to have no lights coming into the room so your 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 brain's not receiving any visual information so typically for decades the way this was done is in small enclosed tanks it's much easier to sort of get those variables of temperature and light and sound uh, minimization uh, right in these small enclosed spaces, right? The problem is for a lot of people, including my anxious patients, these environments were too claustrophobic. They wouldn't even try the experience because the environment was enclosed. And more recently, I would say over the past decade, um, my laboratory and now City Cave is doing uh, something called the open flotation pool model. And the open pool model gets rid of the enclosure. And instead, you build a whole room around the pool that is soundproof and lightproof and temperature and humidity controlled. And by virtue of doing that, the experience is exactly the same as an enclosed pool, but without the enclosure, and you remove that barrier to entry. So, you know, me personally, from a therapeutic point of view, in terms of patients who have, you know, anxiety or stress, in terms of 
chronic pain patients or people with disabilities or senior citizens who may have trouble getting in and out of pools. I feel like the open pool model is a solution. You know, it, it, it's a way to get people into the flow pool who otherwise may not try to do it. So I really like the open pool model from a clinical perspective. And I think it's a very easy way to introduce people to the float experience. Now, suddenly the, the float pool experience, I think, is open to everybody. Excuse the pun, but I think it, it's true. You know, this is this is a big barrier to entry that um, by having an open pool with no enclosure, you get over. And, you know, to me, that's a, a really unique part of, of what City Cave is offering. In, in terms of, um, you know, barrier to entry, there really is none for an open pool. If, if you could get into a jacuzzi or if you could get into your own bathtub, there's no reason you can't get into an open float pool. It's that simple. And they're quite beautiful, I, I must say. You know, with the blue LED lights, you have full control over them. You could turn them on and off whenever you want. You know, you have complete control, in fact, over the whole experience. It's very pleasant and it's very easy, even for younger people. We thank you so much for coming on the podcast, Justin. Um, you're so knowledgeable and listening to you speak, honestly, I could do it all day. Um, 100%. But I think particularly for anyone who's listening to this, we just wanted to touch on um, the Float Research Collective, um, which I guess is, is your organization. and You're um, doing a bit of a, a drive for funds at the moment. Um, so could you maybe touch a little bit on how people can support and what that might achieve? And, and what that's going towards. What, what, what's your future state um, with, with the Float Research Collective? Yeah, no, it's an exciting moment for the Float Research Collective. We just launched this past year as uh, what's called a 501c3 nonprofit organization in America. And we want to do something that is actually an international effort, a worldwide effort, which is to get floating approved as a medical modality, as something that your doctor could prescribe, as something that your health insurance or your nationalized insurance will cover completely. And the end goal, the, you know, the penultimate goal, if you will, is to get floating accessible for everybody so nobody has to pay out of pocket. You know, this, this is something that I think should be provided to people because of the ripple effects, because of all the implications it has on a healthy nervous system, on a healthy state of mental health. This should just be part and parcel of what we are doing in modern society, in my view. And so the Float Research Collective is really this notion that we need to do more systematic scientific research to prove to the powers that be that this is an effective treatment and it's a safe treatment. And my research has already shown both of those things, but in smaller samples. And what we're trying to do with the Float Research Collective is take this to the next level. In fact, we want to do a research study where we show that floating is as effective as the gold standard treatments for the short-term reduction of anxiety and pain. And these are these highly addictive medications known as benzodiazepines and opioids. 
And pretty much millions and millions of people right now in America are addicted to these drugs. We've had over a million overdoses in America this past 20 years from these drugs. They're being prescribed by doctors for the treatment of anxiety and pain. The two things that we know float therapy immediately and rapidly reduces. So I want to go head to head. I want to show in a very systematic, randomized, controlled way that floating is as effective as these highly addictive pills. But guess what? It doesn't come with any of the side effects and you're not going to be addicted. You know, to me, this is amazing. There's no physiological withdrawal when you stop floating. The only thing that will happen is your nervous system will say, you know, I felt a lot more relaxed when I'm floating, so maybe a week later you go and back and do it again. Meanwhile, in America, we have people out on the streets every day begging for these drugs, trying to find their next hit. This quick fix, this quick fix mentality that has really taken over in America, at least, is what floating could help a fight against. There's a different way to reduce suffering that doesn't require any of these highly addictive pills. And we want to show that systematically. So the Float Research Collective has started a $10 million fundraising campaign. We're going to try to take on the special interests, the behemoths of big pharma, right? And we're going to try to do it in a way that will allow the medical community to recognize that this is a viable way forward. We want to shift the medical community's idea of what is the best way to treat people who suffer from things like anxiety and pain. How to best prevent things like stress or stress-related disorders. How to overcome burnout. We feel that these, what what we refer to as uh, uh, sort of the, the triangle or the triad, if you will, of pain, stress, and anxiety is what is most effectively treated by float therapy. And we just want to prove it in a very systematic way. Now, like I said, we've done a lot of the early research studies to sort of show this proof of principle, but now we have to go against the gold standard treatments, and that's what we're proposing to do. Thank you, Justin, for coming on to the Strong Wellness Podcast. Uh, we appreciate everything you do, uh, everything you bring to the industry. Uh, greatly appreciated to have you here and talk to our people um, and give them all the clinical and medical advice around floating and what it can do and what it can bring to men's health, but also to the greater community. Thanks, mate. Hey, you know, it's great to be on this, you guys. Thank you so much, Marty and Tim, um, for bringing me on and for supporting the Float Research Collective. We, we need supporters. We're, um, we're trying to shoot for the stars here, you guys. And all the help is much appreciated. Thank you uh, again for uh, uh, creating the Strongman podcast. Or is it Strong Wellness? Strong Wellness, yeah. Oh, man. I like strong man, right? We're on men's health day. <laughs> so I, I, I look forward to many more episodes to come. And, and um, yeah, looking forward as well to, to seeing where floating goes in Australia. Very exciting. Thanks, Justin. We'll see you soon. 
Thanks for listening to this episode of the Strong Wellness Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please remember to subscribe, rate and comment wherever you get your podcasts. And don't forget to share this with your friends.